I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Gene, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. So we are a month in of quarantine, and I'm grateful that I only have to wear yoga pants and fuzzy pajama bottoms because I am not curious in the slightest if any of my denim will fit. We aren't going to be talking about quarantine and our current state of affairs though today. My next guest and new friend happens to live on the same island as me, so we've been lucky enough to have had the chance to meet up in person. She's a very busy woman with three children, two of which share the same variant on the FAM177A1 gene. This undiagnosed disease is believed to be the cause of our kiddos' disabilities, and her family is on a mission to find others so they can get some more answers. She, like many of the other parents in this rare world, have found whatever sliver of time in her days or nights to search for others who share the same genetic variant, someone studying it, anything. She has created a website and a film dedicated to just this. If you had a genetic test for your kids and there were no findings, ask them again to look on this gene, as they may have not known about it at the time you had the test run. She has a couple of the same future events on her calendar as myself, events I'm certain will help broaden her reach. Parents like her really impress me and inspire me with their passion and drive. She's most definitely in the badass category. I'm so happy I get to help in some small way by helping to get her message out on this particular medium. I urge you to share this information to others so that maybe someone, somewhere, can find her and help to give more answers. Here's my conversation with Jill Hawkins. Hello, Jill. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Effie. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a little cold today. Yeah, it is. We're ready for some sun. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm talking to you today to record this episode. And actually, tomorrow, I'm meeting you in person. I know. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Hopefully, everything's open and yeah. we can do that. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> okay, Jill, well, why don't you just tell me a little bit about your family? Okay, so my husband, Doug, and I have three kids. We have a 16-year-old boy named Nash and a 15-year-old daughter named Charlotte and a nine-year-old son named Cooper. And Charlotte and Cooper have an ultra-rare genetic disease that we're still sort of in the final processes of officially diagnosing. And Nash is developing, typically. And we you know, have challenges certainly around Charlotte and Cooper's uh, disease, but we are a fun loving and, uh, you know, all in all, we're, we're doing okay as a family. <laughs> Good and busy. My gosh. Very busy. <laughs> Charlotte and Cooper actually share the same gene mutation, correct? That's correct. Uh, can you tell me what it is so we can make sure to have it written down and it'll be searchable? Yeah, so they have a loss of function of their FAM177A1 gene. And how did you get that knowledge? Did your kids have a whole exome sequencing test? 
So their deletion was found on whole genome sequencing. How old were they when you got that? This was about a year and a half ago. So Charlotte was 13 and a half. Yeah. And Cooper was, you know, seven and a half. So I should probably back way up. We had Charlotte and she was a healthy baby. I had a normal pregnancy, but right away she started losing ground developmentally. She just kept missing all her developmental milestones. She was very floppy. And so her first diagnosis was hypotonia. And we started early intervention at about six months, physical therapy. All the providers kept calling it developmental delay. Uh, She had a large head size. That was something that stood out about her. And then after more time passed and she just kept falling further and further behind, we started to do some real specific genetic testing to rule out some known disorders. And those all came back negative. And we just continued the search for what this was. And all the tests just coming back is that we just don't know what this is. But it was clear that something was going on and that this was going to be, you know, something that impacts her for life rather than just a delay that she was going to catch up from. So the thought was that uh, she had just a novel or de novo mutation and that it wasn't going to happen again, that we weren't any more likely than any other family to have another child affected by this um, or any other genetic disorder. And so we decided to have a third child because we always wanted three kids and we wanted to give Nash a typical sibling. And we had Cooper, who also normal pregnancy, normal um, healthy baby at delivery, but uh, even sooner than we suspected something was, was not quite right with Charlotte, we uh, suspected something wasn't, you know, quite right with Cooper. And we, of course, were hyper tuned into it a second time around. Oh, yeah. But because Charlotte was undiagnosed, we didn't have anything to look for. So we we just, you know, hoped for the best and threw therapies at him early. But, but we knew, I would say that time he was about a year, that it was you know, very likely that he and Charlotte share the same, same disease, but we still, we just didn't know what that was. And um, it wasn't until, like I said, quite recently that um, we think we figured it out. Wow. So why hadn't there been like a whole exome or a whole genome test ran on Charlotte sooner? There had been, and it didn't show anything. Okay. Um, so we were, you know, followed by a genetics team at Seattle Children's and they were doing, they were throwing everything at this, uh, because they really thought that this was a very solvable case. And it's very compelling from a genetic standpoint to have two affected kids. I mean, they're, they're remarkably similar in their symptoms and one unaffected child and two unaffected parents. So they really thought this was going to jump right out at them. And they did do exome sequencing. Okay. And there were a couple of suspect genes, but none of them panned out. They were either, it was too common of a variant because, you know, what, what, what they were looking for is a gene, a mutation on a gene that is very, very rare because we, at this point, we only have Charlotte and Cooper, so it can't be a common mutation. And they were looking for um, a mutation that was 
inherited from both Doug and I, because if it was something that was passed on by just one of us, then all of our children would have it. If it was like the fact that we have an unaffected child would mean it was it's a recessive mutation. The child in Cooper had to have inherited two mutations on the same gene for this to happen. And then any unaffected child we'd had may have inherited neither copy of that that gene has a the variant or even just one has a variant and it's not enough to uh, express itself. And so it's a tricky it was a tricky thing they're looking for. Um, and they just, on exome sequencing, didn't find anything. At the time, uh, the folks at Seattle Children said, you know, we really want to do whole genome sequencing, but um, A, it's very expensive. It's not yet being done clinically, so it has to be done under research. Our research budget isn't going to cover it at this point. And honestly, they said, we're not really, really good at, at interpreting it yet. And they basically said, give us five years, which was hard to hear yeah. that we had to wait. But they said, you know, even if we did it, it's so much data and we just don't really even know what we would do with all that data yet. But it's, it's, we're getting better and better at interpreting it. So, so we went home and frustrated and still without a diagnosis. And we, you know, we just went on with things. And then I heard about the National Institute of Health on Diagnosed Diseases Network which works to solve these medical mysteries. So they take cases where there's done extensive workup already, but no answers. And then they just throw even more at it. So I applied, which was no easy task because they ask for every single medical record and which was a lot, as you can imagine, with two kids with very complicated uh, medical needs. So I sent it off and they accepted us. We were one of the first patients at the Stanford location, our first families. Nice job, Jill. Um, yeah, I was so excited. I was so excited to just have somebody else taking a stab at this yeah. and looking at our kids. So um, they did a lot remotely this reviewing of records, you know, the blood draws were all done here in Seattle, but then we did fly the kids down uh, to Stanford for some clinic visits and they gathered all the information that they wanted. And then we waited again. So they did whole, they did full genome sequencing right out of the gate, but the first couple analyses didn't show anything. They just kept coming back and saying, we just haven't found anything. We haven't found that the gene that you know, that rare mutation. They said, but we're just going to keep looking at it because the technology is advancing so fast and we're getting better at interpreting it. And so sure enough, about a year and a half after they did the initial sequencing, they just, they kept looking at it and they called and said, okay, we think we have found it. We think we found that the gene that has caused this disease. And then they, they did I'm not a geneticist, but I have learned a lot about genes. <laughs> you know, then they, they clinically validated that this mutation was real. And then the real key is that they found an academic paper where four siblings were referenced in it that had issues with this genes and overlapping symptoms okay. to our kids. It wasn't the exact same variant, but it was on this gene. So that was a clue. And then they found through um, gene matching databases that um, we have found two other patients. So you have two of four. We have two of four. Wow. That's right. 
That's a mm-hmm. small little rock out in the middle of the ocean. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's all, that's a relief, you know, to finally have that news, but it's also just like another blow a little bit. Yeah, it was both exciting and really emotional, honestly, yeah. to fi- finally sort of figured it out. And I'm hesitant to say we, we're not 100% figured out because they don't really know anything about this gene. Right. Um, and so that's what they need to do now is figure out the function of this gene. Yeah, it's at least giving a direction. Totally. Yeah, I just kind of go back to as a mom, like all of the things that you were going through, all of the grief stages and the stress and the anxiety of finding out that something is going on with Charlotte and trying to like find your new normal and then having it happen again to your emotional state and your overall well-being. Like, what was that like? Do you feel like you were better equipped or do you feel like it maybe pushed you down further? Uh, Both. (laughs) It was devastating when we really realized that Cooper was affected as well. Really, really devastating. I mean, here we are wanting to experience development as it is supposed to naturally unfold. We took it for granted with Anash, our firstborn. You know, that he just hit all the markers. You read the little what to expect book and like, sure enough, the next thing was supposed to happen and he did it. And you just, you, you don't realize what a miracle that is. I've never heard another parents actually say that they took it for granted. You do. I mean, yeah. I, I you do until you experience it so dramatically different when Charlotte just wasn't hitting these marks. I mean, she would work so hard to make the tiniest little gains. You know, they called them milestones and Doug and I would just be like, oh no, these are inch stones for us. Yeah. And we would celebrate them. But my gosh, the work she had to do and the work we had to do just to make the tiniest bit of developmental gain. And it was really tough, really tough to just try to stay positive through that and not get discouraged, especially when you're kind of still holding out hope that this is just a developmental delay and that she still might catch up. And I think that is the really tough part early on with having a child with an undiagnosed disease that you just have no frame of reference. You have no idea. And this emotional roller coaster of what is this going to look like? You know, and she she also had this phenomenon. She she her whole life, her development has always moved forward, although at a very very slow pace. Although she'd have setback, especially if she got sick, mm-hmm. that she would regress mm-hmm. and reach us with panic. Like, okay, like is this is this where it unravels? You know, because we don't know what this is. Is this where things really fall apart? And is she going to get really sick? Is she going to continue to lose ground? You know, unfortunately, she didn't. She's always, like I said, generally moved forward. But there were times where we were very concerned that that it was going in the opposite direction. So I've always, I've always wanted an explanation and a diagnosis, both for us and for the next family mm. who's dealing with this, who just has somewhat of a guidebook and can say, like, okay, here's what to expect. Yeah, this is not what we planned on, but 
okay, here's, here's what we can expect. Cause there's so much grief that you have to go through when your child is not neurotypical and you have to adjust to these a different set of expectations and a, a different way of, you know, raising your child. And it's extra complicated when you have no guidebook. Yeah, absolutely. And then have it reenacted oh with another goodness. child, Jill. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we knew right away what we were dealing with. Okay. It's like, all right, this is it. You know, we know, get to work when we know the right therapies and we know the right providers. And so in that sense, it was easier, but it was like so heartbreaking, you know, because we wanted to experience that miraculous unfolding of human development. That is truly a miracle when it happens as it's normally should. And I think that was a big loss that we had to come to terms with, that that wasn't going to happen with Cooper. And then just this idea that we set out to give Nash a typical sibling, you know, somebody in the future to share the burden of raising a sibling with, you know, significant needs. And then we doubled, we doubled the burden for him. And that was that was really devastating and still something to this day that we're, we we grapple with. Yeah. How is Nash? He's great. He's an amazing big brother. He is patient and kind and he loves his siblings. <laughs> um, he really teaches us some lessons about uh, empathy and kindness. Like he's, he's doing great. I mean, he... There's things that aren't great. Uh, like our house is a pretty much a revolving door of therapists and caregivers. Um, and he doesn't like that. I mean, we sure. don't like it. I like the support the kids are getting, but we don't have a lot of privacy in our home, you know, and yeah. he's, he's a teenager, you know, he, he's, he'd love to come home from school and have the house to ourselves. And it's not that way with us. I mean, Charlotte and Cooper need a ton of support. And so with that comes lots of, lots of bodies in our our house at times. So um, that's tough for him. Have you found the sib shops? Yeah, I, I knew about sib shops pretty early on and I introduced it to Nash and he just wasn't interested, but he did a, he's always done a pretty good job of vocalizing his, concerns is I don't know I I think that that he's done fairly well without that I would have loved for him to participate but like I said you could you can only push so much as a parent you know you can kind of suggest it but we weren't going to make him attend sure and those are things you can do as an adult too it doesn't even have to be in his young life that he feels like he needs that but Mm -hmm. there were some some books that I heard about too about like being the the sibling of a you know, a, a child with a sibling, if your sibling has exceptional needs, and I made those available to him as well, then he may or may not have read through them, but um, <laughs> I made those available to him. And he has some friends that are in a similar situation. We've got lots of friends that have kids with special needs and, and typical siblings. Um, so there's some camaraderie there with those kiddos. Good. That's enough. So what about for you? How do you find your people when you don't even have 
a diagnosis when you don't have a name, when you don't have a label? Well, I found some good friends through our early intervention program, Birth to Three. We went to Boyer in Seattle, and it was a lifeline for me. Really, really important. They just met me, and they met Charlotte like right where we were. And they just gave me so much support and hope that uh, I really, really needed because I was reeling at that point. Sure. Therapists were amazing. And just meeting the other parents who were going the same through a similar thing. I mean, nobody was just like Charlotte, but similar. Just connecting with them, sharing resources. They just got it, you know, without a lot of explanation. Yeah. What the challenges were. And then I'm still close with a lot of those, a lot of those parents. And just in our, in through the schools, meeting other parents. So yeah, I, I, as much as I've longed for a specific group, there's still tons of support to be had by the special needs community in general. Totally. Totally. So I just met you like, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago when you messaged me and Mm -hmm. I can totally sense like your, your sense of urgency at this point to kind of get this information out there and to try to find a diagnosis or a treatment or find community. Like has a fire been lit recently to kind of make you powerhouse and go out there and get this information out? Or have you always been doing this? (laughs) That's interesting, Effie, because you are largely responsible for lighting this fire in me. Uh, You really, I I read, I read about your podcast and I listened to it and, and I was like so inspired by the fact that you did this and, you know, your cutie Ford is still little. I mean, and you are like in the early stages of this and you have still managed to mobilize and just do this. And I was so inspired by this. And so I was like, okay, like just get out there and do this. Because we had this information about the gene, this FAM177A1. And about a year ago, I did a major push out um, to create awareness about this gene. I created a website and a Facebook group and we made a video about the kids And I just wanted it out there and I wanted it to go viral. (laughs) And it didn't exactly go viral, but we got a lot of nice feedback from people about (laughs) it because we just need to find more people. We need to find more patients that have this, this variant. And, you know, we're doing that clinically, like all the gene matching sites, like those are all out there. But I know that there's families out there who maybe haven't had the genetic testing yet, or they did, and like us, on the first couple passes, they didn't see anything. Like this is a this particular variant I have since learned is very hard to find uh, the nature of it because it is a deletion, and deletions apparently are harder to find than switches or like if there's an extra information on the um, the gene. Okay. And just the particular nature of this, um, this variant is tricky to find. So it's like, okay, no, go back, take a, take a second look, like have your provider look again. Like I said, you there, almost nothing is known about this gene. So it's been overlooked before. So it's like, no, go back and look. Well, we've done this big sort of push out of, you know, basically my own personal social network. I pushed all this stuff out to but nothing came of it. And it was an exhausting process for me to get this all ready. 
And then like, I knew there were next steps I needed to take, like trying to get some press around and everything. And I, I just, my personal bandwidth was eaten up by caring for our kids and this other things. Uh, but it was always nagging, like, okay, we've got to do more. We've got to do more. So it was a combination of in the last month or two, learning about you, meeting you, getting inspired by you creating this podcast and with Rare Disease Day on February 29th, I said, okay, this is it. This is going to inspire me to take next steps. And that's when I reached out and I got that interview on NPR. And thanks to your suggestion of submitting our video to the Rare Disease Film Festival, which who knew there was such a thing, <laughs> um, but there is. <laughs> right? And um, our movie about the kids is going to be screened at it on May 18th in New York City. So that's pretty exciting. I'm so excited about, about that. Yeah. I just know something is going to happen from all of this work that you're putting out into the world, Jill. And just even saying the gene over and over, I think it's so important and someone's going to hear it and someone's going to connect to it. You know what, Effie? I, I have the same feeling. Yeah. I just, I feel like we have some momentum and it's just a matter of the right ears hearing this totally and saying, oh, I haven't published that paper yet, but yeah, I know about the gene or I saw that somewhere, Yes, you know, and, and that's what we need. Yes. Yeah. So what are the, the symptoms that the kids have? Like what should, what should parents and medical professionals be looking out for? So they have global developmental delay, intellectual disability. They both have an autism diagnosis. So autistic-like behaviors, significant language delays. Cooper's nonverbal. Charlotte uh, speaks in single words in very short phrases. They have large head size, low muscle tone. They both walked around age three. <laughs> Interestingly, they walked within literally the same month Funny. of each other. Yeah. And Charlotte has continued to have more and more muscle issues. She had surgery on her legs two years ago because she had contractures in her um, hamstrings. So she grew, but her hamstrings didn't. Um, so her legs became kind of locked in a bent position with her knees turned inward. Um, so they had surgery to lengthen her hamstrings which was successful, like she can get her legs to full extension now, although she's still very unstable and has balance issues and her stamina is really low. And unfortunately, her physical abilities keep declining and we have no explanation for it. And I'll tell you, I am sick and tired of providers kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, we don't have any answers. Yes. You know, we don't, we don't have to tell you. I mean, it's you you feel really abandoned yeah and really frustrated yeah yeah so I'm not sure if I answered your you question. did you did and <laughs> back to the beginning of it thank you so much for uh saying that I'm so glad you found the podcast and found me and I'm always here to be a supporter in any way that I can so thank you for thank you for being inspired it's my plan Oh, good. You're doing a great job. <laughs> um, so what would you say to some parents who are getting, you know, uh, shrug shoulder shrugs from doctors and other, you know, medical professionals and who don't have an answer other than they'll grow out of it or we just don't know, go to the therapies and everything will be great. What do you want to tell those parents? 
I would say always ask, is there anybody else we should be seeing? Is there anybody else, anything else this could be? And just keep asking and looking around. Don't kill yourself. Like recognize that you only have so much time in your day. But for me, it was just like this insatiable need to be doing more for my kids. I'm just not satisfied with, well, we just don't know. And so in talking to other parents whose kids have, you know, different issues, but some overlap and you sort of glom onto that one little thing, like, like, okay, maybe is this a nerve issue that's going on with Charlotte's legs? Okay. Who, who's your child seen? Okay. May I'm going to ask for a referral to, you know, that department and just be pushy about it and just keep going. It's not always, it's not easy. <laughs> but yeah, you have to be the squeaky wheel all the time for sure. I love that you said that you had an insatiable yearn to figure it out or to do more and you're doing it. You know, obviously there yeah. are times when you have to take a break and sit with yeah. the emotional aspect of it and life in general and dealing with the typical child, but something is stirring in you. And I think a lot of parents of figuring out what their talents are and what their gifts are and how they can contribute to figuring something more out for our kids. And I think we all have something different to bring to the table. And yeah, communicating with each other and finding someone who will listen. Constant. It's constant. Right. Well, I am excited for you. I can't wait to see you at Nord. I can't wait to see you at the Rare Disease Film Festival. I can't wait to see the video. I can't wait for people to approach you. And I think the next year is going to be really exciting for so many in the genetics world, especially for us as families. And I really hope that you find your answer. Thank you. Thank you. That reminds me that I don't think I covered all of Charlotte and Cooper's symptoms. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Cover and there's some that are, there's some that are, you know, kind of unique. Um, like Cooper was born with um, congenital cataracts in both eyes. Interesting. Um, and they both have seizures. They developed later. They weren't from right away. Charlotte's only had a handful of seizures. Cooper has very regular seizures, unfortunately. They have some unique physical features, not very many. If you go to our, our website, and you can get there two ways, you can go to findmygeneticvariant.com or the gene name, which is FAM177A1. You can see detailed health histories and a list of a more detailed list of their symptoms. If you have any overlap, please reach out to us. Have your provider, like I said, this variant they they they're pretty sure it can be found on exome sequencing now especially if you're looking for it awesome um definitely whole genome sequencing okay okay awesome well that'll all be in the show notes so people can find it for sure especially if they're searching for an answer i'm looking forward to getting it out there and helping in any way i can yeah. jill so just keep me posted um, oh, I will. I'm really excited to meet you in person and to have a little network here, actually, on our little island. I'm really excited. I I'm know. starting to meet some people here, which I really haven't. And I've lived here for a couple of years. So 
Oh, it's great. Well, I read, you know, when I read the article in the paper, I didn't even like it didn't even dawn on me that you might live right down the road from me. Like, <laughs> I thought you were sort of sort of from the greater Seattle area. And then when I realized, oh, my gosh, like, no, you're actually right down the road. I was so excited. I'm like, how do I not know this amazing woman? <laughs> so I'm really excited to get to know you even better and uh, just learn from each other. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. And thanks for being open to sharing this information over and over about your amazing kids. Oh, well, it's they, they deserve it. Uh, I'm honored to do it. Amen. And you're just paving the way for other families, like you said, which is part of your mission, which is a very important and selfless part of your advocacy. So I think that's really cool. Oh, well, thank you, Effie. All right, Jill. Thank you so much. I will talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.